The truth is that people want value. They want expertise. And experts talk the way I'm talking to you right now. Nobody calls for a humble consultant. Nobody wants a humble heart surgeon. Nobody wants a humble trial lawyer. Nobody wants a humble consultant. They want people who are really, really good. And if you don't blow your own horn, there is no music. This is a special episode. It's with one of my favorite people in the world, Alan Weiss, PhD. He's a consultant, speaker, author, coach, and I'm sure he won't mind me describing him as this. All-round straight shooter and truth teller when it comes to personal and business growth. It's a short conversation, but it's full of valuable insights and ideas. So I won't waste any more time. Let's get to it. Here's Alan. Thank you for joining me, Alan. Happy to do it, Jen. Okay, I wanted to start with um, a question that I've, ha- I've been wanting to ask you for a long time, which is the first time I ever read Million Dollar Consulting, there was a line in there, one of the first lines in the first paragraph. I loved it. It spoke to me and it stuck with me so long, was when you first described what is a consultant the first person that ever gave advice to somebody that was a consultant. And the reason I wanted to talk about that is because I read it maybe six, seven years ago and I never found it again. Do you remember? I'm not sure if you remember this line. It was something about you you went back to olden times and it was about during the Egyptian times. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, it was not Million Dollar Consulting. That's why you can't find it. It was in a book called... Oh! It was in a book called The Consulting Bible. And what I talked about was not Egyptian times, but (laughs) ancient prehistoric times. And I talked about somebody trying to make an arrowhead to hunt for game for his family. And he was having trouble. And a stranger came along out of the bush who might have been lost or wandering along. But he showed him that a better way to make an arrowhead was to use a harder rock for the arrow and to abrade it on a softer rock and he'd get a sharper point. Well, it worked. And so the person trying to make the arrow gave him some food and gave him a lion's tooth as a talisman to hang around his neck. And off he went and consulting was born. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. I thought it was Million Dollar Consulting. I've been racking my brain. I bought two two editions of it. Okay, Um, I started my career in fiction. I want to ask you, because another one of your books that I really love is uh, Martial Arts, The Martial Arts of Language. And I wanted to ask you, because I'm very used to learning lines and giving people lines to learn and the concept of reciting lines. How important do you think it is for a successful, not just a consultant, but a business person to, to not be afraid of learning lines? Not be afraid of learning what? A line? Learning lines. Yeah, because what I see is a lot of people, if they plan what they're going to say, they feel inauthentic and disingenuous. What I'm talking about is being able to use language in the moment, not learning lines. And so language controls discussions, discussions control relationships, relationships control business. That's an immutable sequence. And if you have a command of the language, just like if you have a lot of tools, you can solve almost any problem if you have the right tool. Well, you can uh, dominate, you can influence, you can be persuasive in any kind of, of conversation or meeting if you have the right tools, which in this case is words. So I don't propose that you have a predetermined script, but that you're prepared to use words in the moment as appropriate. 
So you don't believe in having learning scripts and then improvising on the scripts later. It, this is a, a relationship business. And once you start reciting something you've memorized, people know it. Now, there's nothing wrong with having an example in your mind. You know, there's nothing wrong with having a metaphor in your mind. There's nothing wrong with knowing how you want to open a meeting with what kind of greeting or sentence. Mm. But uh, if you want to have a script when you're talking to people, either interviewing them or, or meeting in their office or whatever it is, that's not going to work. Even, even on stage, you know, nobody's interested, interested in somebody who reads his notes or who memorizes a speech. They're interested in people who are dynamic and who appear to be extemporaneous, even if they're not. Yeah. Okay, just quickly going back to the concept of advice. A lot of people were self-conscious about asking for money in exchange for advice, right? As a coach of consultants, you're teaching mindset, Right, so it, it means the, the things that you're teaching, it's not just for consultants. You can teach anyone who, who's, who needs to use their mind, would you say? Well, it, everything we do is about mindset. I mean, it's mm. optimism versus pessimism. Uh, but the point is that you're not asking for money. What you're doing is you're providing value. I mean, advice is no good unless it's advice that improves the client's condition. So what you're doing is not asking for money. You're providing value and you expect equitable compensation. That's how partners operate. You receive value from me. I receive equitable compensation from you. That's mm -hmm. a partnership. If you think you're selling or asking for money, you're going to have a very long, hard day, like a long, slow crawl through enemy territory. If you think you're out to help people and to provide them with value, you won't be so reluctant uh, to contact them because you're not asking for anything. You're trying to give them something. And then do you find that the people who who know that they need advice are those people who are already somewhat successful? Yes, right? people who are successful, yes. uh, whether in business or athletics or entertainment or medicine or the clergy or education, you name it, mm. uh, welcome coaching. And if you look at the top people in their fields, they use coaches. People who are afraid to admit they have a coach or won't use a coach are usually substandard people because mm. everyone is coaching. They need a breath of fresh air. Mm. And, I, and I also like to see it as the external opinion, right? Just the fact that it's, an, it's a voice coming from outside of my head that's useful for me. Well, that's the fresh air I'm talking about. If we don't get that, we breathe our own exhaust. <laughs> yes, we do. Um, and you talk about generalizing instead of specializing and being a process consultant. So, so generalizing, doesn't that mean we limit our options if we generalize? No, you expand your options. If you're a generalist, you have more potential buyers. And if you're, if you're, if you're adept at, let us say, problem solving or decision making or conflict resolution or succession planning or strategy, you name it, those are processes. They can mm. be used in any industry, any organization, any market. And so the more you're a generalist with those kinds of process skills and critical thinking skills, the more buyers you have. It's when you specialize and you just deal with one market or one niche that you limit your options. Yes, but then aren't you bringing more competition for yourself as a generalist? Competition opens markets. Competition <laughs> doesn't restrict markets. If you're afraid mm. of competition, then go get a job sitting in an insurance company, right? If you're a solo uh, practitioner, if you're an entrepreneur, 
you welcome competition because competition indicates there's a lot of need for what all those competitors are providing. Yes. Yes, but then you don't worry about differentiating yourself or do we do that in a different way? You do worry about differentiating yourself. Of course you do. If you're in a competitive market, you've got to stand apart. You don't do it by specializing. You show that you're more effective. You show that you're better. You get better testimonials. Uh, you have new IP that other people don't have. You have mm -hmm. offerings that other people don't have. So you can differentiate yourself by providing originality and innovation in your marketplace. Mm. Excellent. And one way that you said you liked to differentiate yourself in the early days, I wanted to ask you, you said um, you loved to prov provoke, be, prov be provocative. And I wanted to ask, do you think that still applies today, especially when everybody's so easily provoked? Well, separate grievance from provoked. There are a lot of grievances today. People want everyone in the world to respond to their particular position and mm. to cater to them. That's absurd. But when you talk about provocation, I've got news for you. You know, I was known as a contrarian for a long time, and I still am. Right now, volatility and disruption should be offensive weapons, not something people fear. Mm -hmm. So if you want to provoke people, then be uh, disruptive. If you want to provoke people, then introduce volatility. I introduced value-based fees for consultants in the 90s which was an unheard of concept yes. back then. Everybody built by a time unit. And today I have the strongest solo practitioner brand in the world. And so let me tell you, uh, you need to be as provocative as you can. Even today? More so than ever. Because hmm. the message we're getting is less provocation, right? We, we were supposed to be, because everybody's so easily, uh, I, I don't want to use the word offended, but easily provoked. <laughs> Everybody is easily offended, but you're making a mistake. Don't look at social needs as mm. social demands, as provocation. You have to, I'm talking about business mm. and businesses have to be provoked. Entrepreneurs have to be provoked. The educational system has to be provoked and you provoke them by introducing new ideas and by trying to innovate. That's what I'm telling you. If you look at social issues, everybody's going to be upset by something. Who cares? You have to ignore it. <laughs> I love that. But you can, you know, you can say who cares, right? But maybe for somebody who's less advanced in their career, it's a, it's a balance between being too direct and being a little bit indirect. No, it isn't. This is the way I've been since I was fired and started my career. I, and mm. I, I hate to hear about this. Well, I'm brand new, you know, and all this. The, the mm. truth is that people want value. They want expertise. And experts talk the way I'm talking to you right now. Mm. Nobody calls for a humble consultant. Nobody wants a humble heart surgeon. Nobody wants a humble trial lawyer. Nobody wants a humble consultant. They want people who are really, really good. And if you don't blow your own horn, there is no music. So please don't tell me that if you're starting in this business, you have to start out humbly or you can't be too direct. The more you provoke people to think differently, the better off you are. Wow. I love that. Thank you. I love that. Okay. Um, it's 2021. It's not an exaggeration to say that everything we need to know is available online. So there's people like you giving all this information that if anyone were to take and run with, they would succeed. But a lot of people, they're not doing it, right? People are not doing it because the information is out there. So if information is not the problem, what are we missing? Why, aren't, why isn't everyone successful? Because nobody learns to ski by reading a book. Nobody learns to drive a car or ride a bike 
by going on the internet. You need a coach. You need application. You need mm. to talk to people. I've written over 60 books. So following your premise here, nobody mm. would ever call me. All my books are out there. What's left to do? Mm. Yet my books are simply a thriving practice to drive people to me because a book just creates awareness. The internet creates awareness and a little skills transfer. But if you really want application, you need a ski instructor six yards ahead of you showing you how to do it. Mm, yes, action. They need to... I brought a word for you because I know you, you, you always say you love learning new words. And I wonder if you know this word. It took me so long to look for it because I wanted to find a word that summarizes the idea of humans. We know what to do, but we don't do it. And I was wondering if, if you've heard of this word, acrasia. Aprasia sounds like procrastination. What is yes, it? Yes, very similar. Yeah, uh, uh, it's A-K-R-A-S-I-A. It's just an ancient Greek word meaning we know what to do, we just don't do it. So I just... Well, the, I just... And the reason for that is people procrastinate because they're afraid. Mm. And what they're afraid of is that if they finish something, they will be critiqued for it, which will damage their ego more than being critiqued for not completing it in the first place. So they'd rather not complete it and be critiqued for that rather than complete it and be critiqued for their work. Mm, yes. Okay, so this is Marketing Helsinki. Uh, we have Alan Weiss. So Alan, something that not many people know, and I don't, know, I don't know if you've ever said this, so you have a connection with Finland. Can you tell me what is your connection with Finland? Well, in 1963, I was an exchange student. Uh, we had somebody from Finland. His name is Esko Hamelo. Uh, Esco subsequently became the Finnish ambassador to Australia and I think to Paris. Uh, but uh, he came over for a year and we never had an exchange student. It was inner city and it was very special. And I and some one other person was chosen to go back. But <clears throat> since I couldn't speak Finnish, we spent six weeks with a reporter uh, going through Europe and winding up in Finland. Esco lived at the time <laughs> in Yavaskala and we wound up in Yavaskala. But before that, we traveled through Europe uh, on very little money. Uh, we went at the time, you know, through the um, through the Berlin Wall and into East Germany wow. uh, and took ferries on the Baltic Sea and took ferries on the North Sea and so forth. Uh, but then we stayed with Esco's family in Yavaskala and uh, it was a changing point in my life. Amazing. You even pronounce it perfectly. Like I said, I've been to Finland. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So how long did you stay there? We stayed with his parents for two weeks, but we, the whole trip was six weeks. I have to ask you, how... Were you as mm, confident as and forthcoming as you are today? And how did that go down in 1960s Finland? Well, I'll tell you something. The, the test, <laughs> the, the interview process in my high school, there were four of us nominated. And the question was, uh, and this was the height of the Cold War, how would you defend the United States and Europe? And um, we each went in separately. And, and I assumed that the other three, because my name was W, I went in last, I assumed that the three before me gave some defense of the United States in the Cold War. And I walked in and said, the United States doesn't need a defense. I think what we need is an understanding. And I tried to explain what we're doing, but I wouldn't defend anything. And I won 17 to 1. Those were, there were 18 votes. So I was contrarian back then. And uh, I found that Finland was, uh, when I went there, um, Finland was, you know, a very different place. It was, it was calm and quiet and uh, uh, uh I didn't get involved with business there. I was a kid in high school. I was 17 mm. years old. Mm. Uh, I, I did date a wonderful girl in Yavaskala, though, named Pirko. And I remember that. Wow. That's funny. Okay. Um, yeah, well, if, if you say it was a quiet place, then I, I can tell you nothing 
much has changed since then. So you haven't been back since then? No, I've been back to Sweden, uh, but I've had no uh, chance to get back to Finland. Okay, well, we we await your return. Thank you. (laughs) So, uh, can we quickly talk about your new book? So, it's coming out next week, is that right? Yeah, it comes out March 18th, uh, so it'll come out in 10 days. It's called Legacy. Uh, Life is not about a search for meaning. It's about creating meaning for yourself. And what I found was that uh, every day there's a page in our lives being written, but sometimes it's the same page as yesterday, and sometimes it's blank, and sometimes somebody else is writing it. So my contention is that you don't wait to create a legacy till the day before you die. Uh, You create legacy every day, and that means you have to create meaning for yourself every day, and that's the subject of the book. Yeah, and I like that. For me, I think the key word is uh, intentional because a lot of people, we go through life and things accidentally happen. So we don't really have that much intention, would you say? Is that what it's about? Yeah, it's it's about uh, forging your own future. It's about understanding you have more control than you think you have. Uh, it's about not giving up control. It's about the fact that age is irrelevant, uh, that it's all about competency. It's all about value. Uh, and uh, not enough people uh, have the high. Not enough people have enough esteem to take advantage of these things, and I'm trying to help them correct that. So it's a little bit of a move away from mm, business and strategy and tactics, and more about life philosophy. Yeah, I, I mean, my last book was Fearless Leadership, which could be applied to any kind of leadership. That came out in 2020. Uh, And this book is about uh, something for everyone, which is uh, every day you make decisions and you do things or choose not to do things, which influence the legacy of your life, which influence your future and the future of others. Maybe you should give some more careful thought to that. Mm. So you've been releasing so over 60 books and it's almost like one per year or is it? Well, for example, there are four this year because legacy comes out the sixth edition of Million Dollar Consulting, the third edition of Value-Based Fees, wow. and the second edition of the Consulting Bible. Oh my gosh. And you rewrite majority of the book when, when it's a new edition. I write the new editions, but I, for example, Million Dollar Consulting, which has been on the shelves now for 30 years mm. uh, without, without a pause, I wrote the sixth edition from my head. I didn't take the fifth edition and, oh and my goodness! I simply write the books from my head. Uh, I've just had another book accepted called The Modern Trusted Advisor, which will come out next year. Wow. You have a special brain because what I, the line I gave you at the beginning, I literally, I've been trying to find that book and you immediately knew where it was from. Well, it's one of my favorite stories. And so I knew oh. it immediately. And I just, okay. I, just, I just did the update of that book, The Consulting Bible. Ah, new books. Speaking of books, there were, I heard you say once that you wanted to write a book called Fire Your Sales Force. Why do you think we should get rid of salespeople? Have, have the fundamentals changed in the way successful companies sell? Well, I have nothing against salespeople, but the fact is sales are dead. Uh, right mm. now, it's about buyers buying. And so what companies have to do is enable the buyer to buy. Everybody has the information they need today. They don't need salespeople dispensing it. Uh, Because of the pandemic, the old notion of having feet on the street is somewhat archaic. Uh, And evangelism is the new sales tool. It's about people talking to others. And if you look at the research over the last 10 years, most executives and business owners make their decision based on peer level reference and word of mouth. Mm. So just like you ask someone, do you know a good doctor? They say, do you know a good consultant? 
And so sales forces are, are really a passe. So is it, is it about renaming the sales department? No, it's about doing away with them. It's about focusing <laughs> on enabling the buyers to buy and evangelism. Okay. So, because I, I know a lot of companies, I've worked with a lot of companies that you won't believe that the purely outbound sales and they still do well here. Maybe it's just a European thing. Um, cold calling still works, apparently. Like I've seen it with my own eyes. Well, cold calling is a silly way to try to survive. I mean, let me tell you right now. Agree. It's not totally. how business works anymore. So listen, I got time for one more question. Do you have something you want to ask me? Um, yes. Who do you listen to and watch these days? Like, where do you do? You, do you watch or listen to anyone? No. Or what are you reading currently? Business people, no. I read fiction. I read biographies. I read science. I read. All kinds of things, elect, um, um, very eclectically, but I, I don't really follow business writers. Uh, you know, occasionally there'll be one that I'll read, but it's not very common. Um, and um, uh, you know, I watch uh, I watch things for for recreation and entertainment and enjoyment. Uh, and so, right now, I'm reading a biography of Mike Nichols, the director and the the, the writer and the comedian. Mm. Uh, I'm reading a book by Grisham, uh, which is one of his fictional books on mm. uh, on trials. I'm reading Ken Wilber's book. A Brief History of Everything, which is a philosophical book. Uh, and I'm reading wow. a book called The Swerve, which is about uh, a historical search for a certain poem written in Latin. So um, that's how I read. Uh, Tan, it's been nice being with you. I want to thank you for the questions. Yes, and, uh, I want to wish you all the best and wish all, my, all your listeners in Finland all the best. <laughs> thank you. Thanks, Alan. Take care. All right, that was Alan Weiss. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed listening to it back right now. Please visit marketinghelsinki.com for more conversations with professionals sharing personal and business philosophy inside and outside Finland. I'm Tan Lee. See you next time.